all of us have come into the monastic training interested to find a higher happiness and peace of mind. And also aware that life is full of stress and suffering in different ways. We have a wish to free ourselves from that. So we're practicing following in the Buddha's footsteps, the path that he explained so well, what we call the Swakata Dhamma, the Dhamma that's well expounded. Learning our learning the the Dhamma, the way to practice. And then putting it into the test through our actions, through our practice. The Buddha pointed out that all our suffering as human beings is rooted in avicca, ignorance. Avicca, pachaya, sankhara, ignorance, conditions, karmic formations. So we're developing the path, examining this truth and observing and learning how that affects us, that truth, how it's manifesting for us on a daily basis in our in our lives, how does it manifest? Karmic formations we have. Punyapi Sankara, Apunyapi Sankara, we have wholesome karmic formations, unwholesome karmic formations. Manifesting all the time, coming up all the time in our minds. Thoughts, volitional thought, intentions rooted in the wholesome and the unwholesome.
leading us on to make karma, mental karma, verbal karma, physical karma, all the time through our lives. And this the Buddha said is conditioned by ignorance. Even the good karma we make ultimately deep down is still conditioned by ignorance. So it still binds us to the world, to samsara. And samsara, samsara vata, it's cyclical. It's round in the sense the world or our life is bound by birth and death. The nature of samsara we could compare to somebody wandering through the world as a comparison, wandering from place to place. The mind, the jitta, wanders through samsara from life to life, existence to existence, being born and then dying over and over again, so it's cyclical. And the karmic formations will determine the vibhaka, the vibhaka kama, we experience the results of our good and bad intentions come back to us all the time, pleasant, unpleasant experiences in our life. So from the very first moment of life, anywhere, consciousness enters the embryo. The embryo is fertilized, forms consciousness, joins that jitta joins that vibhaka kama is arising based on previous, the previous birth, previous life. An embryo is born, maybe even dies in the womb. doesn't get very far, either terminated through abortion or malfunctions of the body problems with that embryo may be never even born. But if it is born, whether it's male, female, healthy, unhealthy, and then the parents it's born to, the conditions of the world, the environment it's born into, all of this is the Vibhaka Kama generated from the past life is what we call vibhaka vata, part of samsara vata, vibhaka vata, the round of resultant karma. In this life we make fresh karma, wholesome, unwholesome. This is karma vata, the round of fresh karma, making fresh karma. What leads us to make fresh karma is kilesa. Kilesa vata. 
are conditioned by ignorance, not understanding truth, not being mindful of truth. The mind, the jitta, doesn't see, understand truth. Leads it to make fresh karma, conditioned by kilesa. And so samsara continues from one life to another, one birth to another. What is it that experiences this cycle of birth and death and samsara? It's the jitta, it's the mind that moves from life to life, as it were, wanders. What does the jitta take up as it comes into life? As we're born into the world, it takes up the five candors. So it takes up the physical form, say, of that embryo. Then the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feelings that start to arise. The perceptions that start to form. The sankars, the mental formations, the thoughts and the moods, the emotions and the sense consciousness based on having six senses and the jitta takes these up and due to the power of kilesa fed by ignorance it sees these five candles as self sense of these are me, or these are I, or belonging to a self. They're mine, my candors. And the Buddhist path is helping us to understand and examine, look more closely at this truth as it's happening. With the ultimate goal of Nibbana is seeing and penetrating this truth the way the jitta takes the five candors as a self sees them as a self or belonging to a self and seeing through that seeing through that seeing as a, as a delusion a delusion of view of perception of the way of looking at things a way of understanding things This is the way the Buddha said, I mean, to see the true way, true knowledge and vision of the way things are, as the Buddha described, this is what frees us from suffering and frees us from samsara. So how do we achieve that? How do we get there? Well, this is the Buddhist path, the, the, the path that the Buddha laid down for us to follow you know, this training is giving us the tools and the means by which to understand more deeply how this is occurring and what to do about it. How it is that the mind 
grasps at the five candors as a self. Now that causes us suffering. And how to see through that delusion of self, transcend it and bring the mind to freedom. Freedom from that grasping, that attachment that causes us suffering. And this is why the practice of bhavana is very much at the heart of the Buddhist path. Training the mind to calm down, quieten down enough for us to see more closely this truth as it is continuing on. It's there for us to see all the time. But for most people in the world, they they don't quieten down enough or take the time to look closely at what's going on. Or they haven't heard the Swakata Dhamma yet, so their views are still too off. Their wrong views are taking them in other directions and not looking at these truths. But we're fortunate enough to have come in contact with the Buddhist teaching and have a sense that this is a true path and that works, that leads to liberation or freedom from suffering. So we're now putting it to the test through our own efforts, our own practice in this situation, in this place that we are here right now. We have this opportunity to practice. So we're learning to calm the mind, quieten the mind, still the mind, to aid us, facilitate in seeing more deeply how suffering arises, how we grasp at these candors and that causes us suffering. How do we how can we see through the delusion that says these candors are ours, are our self or belong to a self? The only way we can do that is to look more closely at them and the experience of the mind grasping at the candors. So it's a practice of investigation, looking more closely, more deeply, more clearly at what's going on in our experience day to day. All the factors of the past, they support that. You're living in a virtuous way, a peaceful way, not getting too caught up in the world, in the complexities of the world, material, seeking material happiness, material possessions, competing with others, conflicting with others, because we set that aside and focus just on Dhamma practice, learning the Dhamma, understanding the Dhamma better, and quietening ourselves 
as we do that, so quietening our external behavior, composing, restraining our actions, our speech, to allow the mind to be quiet enough, peaceful enough to turn inwards and look at these truths more deeply and to develop bhavana. As we practice bhavana, we develop a meditation object, quietening the mind, then already we can have some insight into the lack of self or ownerless nature of these five candors. You know, any time the mind does quieten down in meditation, focuses on its object and lets go of all the thinking and the negative emotions that bother us so often. At that time we say the mind becomes a little bit free or we say even empty of self, where the mind just becomes one-pointed, settles down, free from the hindrances perhaps for a few minutes or longer than that. That experience of emptiness gives us at least some insight into the nature of reality, that what we normally grasp at as self is nothing very solid in itself. We say it doesn't have an intrinsic self or essence or substance to it that, that we can say is a self. And if you become point, one-pointed and peaceful in meditation, even if for only for a few minutes, then those thoughts that normally we grasp at, those emotions, feelings of pleasure and pain and all of that, that normally we grasp at as self, that grasping is set aside the mind quietens down and we get a chance to see, examine these truths and see anicca dukkha anatta of the five khandhas even if only briefly it gives us this insight that sets us in the right direction for further contemplation, further examination of truth This is based on the principle that the mind doesn't always have to grasp everything and become confused and experience stress and suffering. It will from time to time, but it also, if it's trained, it can let go of what it grasps at. And this, this process of grasping, it can let go, put it down, and that gives us a chance to de develop insight. So the underlying jitta, the mind, that thing which grasps at the candors in this life, and then when this life's over, goes on to another life and grasps at another set of candors. That, the Buddha said, is something that is radiant and pure but defilements and the way ignorance comes up in the mind, say avijjā, the way it 
arises, manifests as, as defilements. They come in and take over the mind. So they're like visitors, or even we say like aliens. The Buddha said, Jitang Pabasarang Akandu Kehi Kilesehi. The mind is pure and radiant, the jitta. Kilesas, they are like visitors or aliens who come into it or arise with the mind, but they're not the same as the mind. And when we have those moments of peace, calm, stillness in meditation, and we're seeing that truth, the peace comes because the Kilesas abate, even if they're only just suppressed temporarily through the power of samatha, samadhi. It's enough for us to start gaining this insight to see uh, Kilesas are not me, they're not mine, they're not the self, they don't belong to me. They're more like visitors, aliens that come and go according to the conditions and causes. And this is how the path of practice that leads to the end of suffering works. It's a combination of calm and insight. Starting to show us the truth. When we are caught into dukkha and suffering, then we will take the candors as a self. And it all seems very complex and all knotted up, tied up together. So we can see when we have strong emotions arise based on our experience, daily experience. We see things, hear things, taste things, touch things, smell things, or just internal memories and thoughts, concepts that stimulate emotional reactions. When those emotional reactions come up, then at that time all these five candors seem very (coughs) bound up together. The mind is lost, kind of drunk in them, intoxicated with the body and with the emotions, the pleasure, the pain, the happiness, the suffering and all the complexities, the mental formations and proliferations that come with it. So at those times, very difficult to have any kind of insight. So we just experience dukkha. But if we keep practicing, developing sati sampajanya, keep meditating, and we start to experience more calm, then it's at those times that the mental formations, the proliferation subsides, the negative emotions subside. The grasping at the candors seems to fade a little bit. And then we can see the difference, something different. And we can see that there is an underlying emptiness in our experience.
And we can see the difference between that which is empty of self and then that which is self, or we take as self. The emotions, the moods, the proliferation. But we have a basis then for insight. When the candors are all stuck together and coming up and we have no insight and no mindfulness, well then it's painful. You know, the upadana kanda, source of dukkha, source of attachment and clinging and leading on to dukkha. So Ajahn Chah said it's like a hornet's nest, or even three hornet's nests. Say for the unenlightened being, we have Sakaya Ditti, just the basic sense of self-view, viewing these candors as a self belonging to a self. And then the doubt based on that, the uncertainty of life, uncertain about the path, about what is freedom from suffering, about the cause of suffering, we're not clear because we haven't contemplated, so it's another hornet's nest that stings us. And Sila Bhattabharamasa, there's a sort of blind attachment to rituals, external practices, conventions, even the religious conventions, even our own rules and practices can be a, a source of suffering, society's conventions and rules and so on. It's like three hornets' nests that keep stinging us, full of hornets, keep stinging us over and over again. When you practice meditation, though, and start to clear the mind through mindfulness, and the mind calms down from time to time, it's like one gets some relief from the hornet's nest. We experience some letting go, some putting down of that grasping and attachment and the candors, and then we can understand better what the pathway is. When the internal chatter of emotions and moods based on various feelings as well, when that settles down, we have some clarity. It's like those hornet's nests retreat for a while. So we get some insight into what is not self. And this is the way to go, the way to keep investigating, developing the mindfulness and the calm and then using the three characteristics as a way to look at our experience more closely. Now, Nietzsche, Dukkha, Anatta, these are, th- we call them three characteristics, or we could say three marks of existence, or three signs. So these are three signs or markers that we can look for. That which is, or the, the impermanence of our experience of these candors, their changeable nature the dukkha of them, the unsatisfactoriness of them, the instability of them, the inability of them to provide lasting, permanent happiness, peace, the insecurity of them, 
you know, real security or refuge because they're unstable, changing, can't bring us lasting happiness. And the ownerlessness of them, there's no owner in these candors, and they're conditioned things that arise according to their causes and conditions, but are subject to change, and they're not controllable. We can't own these candors. These are three marks or signs that we're looking for in our experience. We're recognizing them, observing them as we meditate. And we can see obviously the more peaceful the mind is, the more calm the mind is, the easier it is to see these marks, these signs. When we see these signs, then naturally the mind will start letting go, putting down that which it formerly grasped. When there's ignorance conditioning the mind, then we grasp incorrectly, unwisely, at the candors, thinking that they're going to bring us real happiness, they're a real refuge. Instead of using Dhamma, instead of using the Dhamma of Sila Samadhi Panya, or Sati Panya, or Calm and Insight, instead of using that, we grasp at the candors themselves as a source of happiness, and that's why we keep getting stung over and over again, and that's why we keep getting bound to this world and to the sangsara of birth and death, this life, past life, future life. So as we're practicing, we, we say we're coming to see the emptiness of the candors. It's seeing that these, using these marks, these signs, we're seeing through the delusion of self, the view of self in these candors or these candors belonging to a self. By focusing on these marks with our peaceful mind, these signs, they just keep teaching us, they teach the mind to understand the truth more deeply and therefore it quite naturally wants to let go. It's like waking up from its delusion or sobering up from its state of drunken intoxication. The mind now sees clearly, oh, this is the nature of these candas, they are nicha, dukkha, anatta. There's no self here, there's no, self, there's no happiness, true happiness here, there's no permanence here. This is why some meditation objects are very good for developing both samatha and vipassana very naturally. You contemplate death, maranānusati. You know, it's just bringing you to see both the starting to experience the quiet mind as you focus with mindfulness recollect death as an object over and over again but then you're quite naturally contemplating a Nietzsche Dukkha Anatta at the same time you see how you practice how you do contemplate death as a meditation object one of those sort of fundamental 
meditations that we should all put some effort into. Just beginning intellectually thinking about it, it brings up so many areas for insight to arise. You contemplate the death, what happens at death? Well, these candors, we say the candors break up at death. We lose these candors, they vanish, they disappear, never to arise in this form. So this, the obvious one, the physical body, it won't be here forever, it's always changing anyway, getting older. And when we die, we leave the body behind, just like a log of wood goes back to the four elements. And this body that we inhabit, the jitter inhabits and grasps that as a self, won't return, we will never have this form again when we die, we'll never look like this again, we'll never experience a body quite like this again. It's an impermanent phenomena. It's a formation, a condition formation that has arisen. It's here for a while but it will pass away and never return quite like this again. So already just contemplating death in the death of this body, you can see, well, there's not much to grasp at. This form, however beautiful or ugly, coarse or refined it is, however you like the way you look or you don't like the way this body is, how healthy it is or unhealthy it is. The, the sign that you're looking at as you contemplate death is the fact that it's going to end cease to exist and will never come back as it is. That's the nature of the elements. And when you do leave this body behind, when the jitter separates, gives it up, you can see quite clearly the four elements that make up this body. Earth, air, fire, water, they know nothing about this. They don't know that they are owned by you or you, you think of them as yourself, your body. Once they're in the ground or a pile of ashes after a cremation, they just go off back into the world, become the raw ingredients to form other bodies, other beings, animals, people, whoever. Know absolutely nothing about being called a self. You know, they don't have a name. When we're born in the world, we aren't born with a name. That's samuti satcha, that's the conventional reality, the assumed reality, designated reality that we add on to the experience of these candas after we're born. Maybe already the parents have created a name in their minds before the baby is born, but that group grouping of the four elements and the five candors that is an embryo in a, a womb has no name. The four elements know no name from start to finish of a life. They know no name. It's just a, a label we add on. The four elements don't know that they're a male or a female. 
that they're Australian or Asian or European, American, whatever. They know nothing of that. They're just the four elements that arise, pass away with death, whenever death comes. That's the end of it. So it's just a fleeting, passing involvement of this jitter with these four elements, and we call it the rupakanda. As we contemplate, we do the Maranano Sati, we're contemplating, you know, seeing the sign of Anicca Dukkha Anatta in this body as we contemplate, thinking it through, and then maybe just reciting it as one word, as a way to reduce the proliferation of the mind. There's many ways we can do that. Maranang me niyatang, death is certain. Is a very common mantra for contemplation of death. And death is certain, death is certain, marani, maranang me niyatang. Or just maranang, 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 maranang. So both has a meaning to the mind. There's also a way of just concentrating the mind on one thing to let go of the proliferation. And that's the same whether it's your body, anybody else's body, male, female, relative, friend, stranger, bound to death, bound up with death, bound towards death, heading towards death, never to return in the same form again. This mixture of the four elements, never to recur in this way again. That's the nature of the Rupa Kanda. Wait in our Kanda, same. There'll never be another mixture of pleasant, unpleasant feelings just like we've experienced through this life or even in one day. You never have the same mixture of pleasure and, um, and displeasure, pain and pleasure from day to day. It varies already. From hour to hour it varies. When you die, all that pleasure and pain that you've experienced dies, ends there. In the next life, a jitta takes up another set of candors, another set of pleasure, pleasure and pain based on its old karma. It's always changing and always conditioned based on karma. Vibhaka karma. This is karma vata vibhaka water and kilesa mm. the pleasure and pain that we experience the Vaitana Kanda is conditioned from what has gone before will bring up if we've made a lot of good karma there will be a lot of pleasure arising but ultimately you can never have all pleasure because the nature of this realm is that human realm we have both pleasure and pain and we've made both good and bad karma in the past. When you meditate, you do your meditation on death, we are contemplating that as you meditate. You observe how when the mind absorbs into its object, drops all the proliferation, well, maybe it becomes very peaceful, pleasant, a lot of sukha waitana. 
but that won't last forever. You can't stay in a completely absorbed state forever. You come out of that state where there's dukkha waiting there. So on a night like tonight, an all-night sitting night, this is a good time to practice sitting without moving for a few hours or even many hours and observe pleasure and pain and observe the three marks, the three characteristics or the three signs in pleasure and pain. As you sit, you sit through pleasure and then to pain and maybe get back to pleasure and then back to pain again. In one sitting without moving for a few hours, you can see this at work. See the mental proliferation here, the sanya and the sankara kanda, how they form around that pain, with that pain, as a self. This is me, this is mine, and then the proliferation that comes from that. The pleasure that maybe excites and gives a sense of satisfaction. My meditation is good, get pleasure, peaceful state, happy state of mind. How that changes as pain comes back into our experience and the aversion to that, the wanting to get away from pain, wanting to end the meditation or get up. But we're looking deeper here, we're examining deeper here the name that we put on to that pain and my pain and the mental proliferation comes from that. All the moods it brings up, say excuses, saying why do I have to be here with this pain, I don't want this, etc, etc. All the verbalization. We're training the mind with mindfulness and wisdom just to bring it to investigate these candors as they are rather than just getting caught up into the mess of them, the, com- the complexity of them. So having enough mindfulness as we meditate just to observe feeling as feeling arising and passing away as it's his nature to see it as dukkha and see it as without an owner. It's just a phenomena, a condition that has its own causes, arises, passes away, but without grasping at it as a self. When you die, all that feeling, where does it go? It just goes away with the candles dropped. Jitta goes on to another life, has more feeling in another life, but it's not the same feeling. Feeling arises, passes away. Sanya, the perception about memory, about this life, the way we remember things, the labels, the names, all the assumptions that we put onto things, whether it's putting onto the feeling itself or any other aspect of the candas. You know, all that memory, when you die, it drops away, doesn't it? It's the end of it. You'll never remember these same experiences you had in this life and grasp at that memory as a self when you in this life that's it isn't it you have a, if the jitta goes on to another life it's going to have a whole other set of perceptions memories good and bad skillful unskillful whatever all the names all the people we've known in this life We'll separate from them, the places, 
the possessions, the experiences we've had, and the memory of all of that will drop away. And that will be gone. And that's happened already so many lifetimes in the past. We can't remember it, but it's happened. You know, where, where is all that memory now from the past lives? It arose, passed away, the need to do kaanata. All the mental proliferation, the ups and downs, the happiness and suffering, all the different mental states that we've experienced and are experiencing in this life. Even the good ones, the skillful ones, we're still contemplating how these are anicca dukkha anatta, they're conditions that arise through various causes and conditions, we bring them up, say through the practice, we bring them up, the, the wholesome states of mind. But they're still, as a candor, they are a conditioned thing. Mental formations, they're formed, they're formed through the way we condition this mind. So we use the Dhamma to condition it skillfully, but ultimately to free ourselves from attachment and grasping at, at these mental formations as a self, the Sankara Kanda as a self or belonging to a self. So we're looking at you know our mental states, just seeing them as as mental states, just knowing them as dhammas that arise and pass away, knowing them for what they are, not giving so much importance to them, not giving them so much power or influence over the jitta, over the mind, the underlying mind that knows things, just seeing them as conditions that come up and go away again. How many thoughts? have we had since we were born. There's so many endless thoughts, we could never remember every thought we've had. Even in one day, how many thoughts can you actually remember since this morning? All the details of every thought, thought formation. As we meditate, we see our thoughts are being born and dying every moment. As we contemplate death, we can see that death is really arising, passing away. It's happening every moment. A thought arises and then it dies, passes away. These candors arise and pass away. And there's no self in them. There's nothing in solid in them, nothing lasting in itself in these candors, they're just candors. It's not that they're they're not here, they are here, we understand that they, what they are, but we're not grasping at them or deluding ourselves that they're any lasting permanent self in themselves. And as we contemplate, we can see as the mental formations very much like the banana tree, just or an onion, just rounds and rounds of skin that peel off, but there's no real solid essence in them. And 
obviously in another way we look at our mental formations we are training them to be more wholesome more skillful I mean, focusing on the Dhamma in our experience bringing up mindfulness wise reflection bringing up virtuous mental formations you know, rooted in sila, samadhi, panya but still as we contemplate from moment to moment we can also see the conditioned nature of mental formations how they arise and pass away and they're not really a self to be controlled or held on to sense consciousness same rising and passing away seeing and hearing tasting from moment to moment as you meditate, you keep training the mind, so you contemplate Maranavisati. One day those eyes will stop functioning, those ears will stop functioning. Without an eye, then seeing can't arise. Without an ear, hearing can't arise. So that sense consciousness that we're experiencing, it will stop, it will cease. It is ceasing from day to day, moment to moment. But in its nature, in its essence, it's bound to cessation. Because ears don't last forever, eyes don't last forever. When we die, our senses stop functioning. When we do die, the jitter leaves first. So the body is still there a bit longer. The jitter's gone at death. When when the breath stops, the jitter leaves the body. You can contemplate the the body, the physical side of our candors lasts a bit longer. So when when a person dies, it's still warm. The body at death, even though the consciousness jitter has gone, it can still be warm for a while gradually goes colder, gradually starts to degenerate, decompose. But the jitter is long gone. And jitter wants another life, it wants more candors, more of the five candors. So it's gone, already gone, looking for another set of candors, another life. We can just contemplate that in some of the relationships between, say, mind and body. Your body is coarser, when we die, the body is still there. Jitter's gone. Occasionally even the jitter's going and then the person is revived. doctor manages to bring them back to life. So the jitter's pulled back to the body, as it were. body can start functioning again. Eyes start functioning again, ears start functioning again. But sooner or later they come to the end, the body stops functioning, death occurs. The jitter has to drop the candles, drop the waitana based on this body, the sanya based on this body, sankara based on this body, vinyana based on this body. These five candles have to be abandoned and given up. The jitter can't keep them going forever. So there's no lasting happiness, no lasting 
seat of self or refuge of self. It's contemplating seeing the cessation of these candors, seeing the fact that they are bound up with birth and death. You know, this is the highest happiness, is that insight into the true nature of the candors. As we chant at funerals, we go to a funeral, we chant anicca, vata, sankhara. All conditions are impermanent. So all conditions of these five kendas are impermanent. They're subject to a, a rising and ceasing. That's their nature. Te sangupa samo sukho. the final cessation of the of the candors of conditioned things this is true happiness you when the mind has seen the nature the jitta has seen the nature of five candors as what they are as an each dukkha anatta then it no longer wants to grasp at them as a self and no no longer wants the suffering that comes with that grasping and attachment so the final cessation is the final happiness is the happiness of that insight where the mind lets go of grasping at the candors. It just knows that when when it's trained in bhavana and meditation calm and insight together the mind gets to the point where it just knows intuitively inside for itself it's taught itself the Dhamma to the point where it just knows that this is something that's impermanent any part of the canvas that it's considering examining, looking at it gets to know where this is impermanent what is impermanent is dukkha and is not self so it doesn't want to grasp anymore, doesn't want to hold on, cling on, doesn't have that delusion anymore. It's no longer blind. Now when the mind is still following the kilesis that delude it, trick it into thinking, well, the five candors are a permanent self and a source of happiness and they'll bring us all the happiness we want and we keep running and grabbing at them it's like being led by a blind person Ajahn Chah said it's like a blind person leading you through the forest you're just going to go all over the place bumping into things always remember hearing that teaching and the nature of Delusion is like a blind person in that sense. It's cause I remember when the first time I went to Wat Nana Chat as a lay person, I arrived at dusk, got off a bus quite a long way away, had to walk with my friend to the monastery. We got there and uh, the gates were shut. We had to walk around. Luckily in those days there wasn't a wall around the monastery. 
So we walked around the side. And we didn't have a torch, so we are just bumping into trees as we walked through in the dark, worried about snakes and other things. Just walking and it got darker and darker until we were walking in pitch black in the forest, completely lost because it was the first time we'd been there. Till eventually we saw a tiny bit of light in the distance. We walked all the way over, again bashing into things, tripping over things, till we got to a kuti where there was a a young Thai novice with a kerosene lantern. Just a tiny bit of light, but enough for us to to be drawn towards. And we actually said, oh, we're the blind leading the blind. We're laughing at it to each other because we're both going in wrong directions, tripping over. And Ajahn Chah said, it's like this when the Kalesas lead the mind. We're blind, so we keep grasping at these candors as a self, hoping that they'll bring us lasting refuge. We don't see the underlying truth of their Anicca Dukkha Anatta. And we don't get back to the more pure mind that can see this, understand this truth. We keep getting caught up into the conditioned mind, the Kilesas coming, condition the mind, and we get caught up into the happiness and suffering of these candors, the pleasure and pain of the candors. They were just like being led around by blind people through a forest, tripping over. When we use the Dhamma, it's like finding that light, the lantern that illuminates things starts to show up the truth of things to the mind. It teaches the mind. The Dhamma illuminates the path and its fruit, the deathless. It illuminates that, the truth to the mind. So it teaches the mind what is really true, what is really worth holding on to, or what is really secure, a secure refuge, and that's the Dhamma, truth. That's what we're developing in this practice. We're developing the illuminating quality of the Dhamma, the light that comes through Sila Samadhi Panya. As we develop that, then the mind inclines towards the brightness more, so it stumbles less and bumps into things less or gets stung by the hornet's nest less. It experiences more true peace, true happiness, you know, happiness of relinquishment, letting go of attachment, letting go of delusion. Little by little that becomes more established in our experience and that's why through the practice you know, we experience more peace, we experience more internal happiness and calm and peace of mind. So I'll leave you with these reflections for your practice tonight.